So, Berto, it's been a while since we've done an episode about music, and people have been asking us to talk about the psychology of music, so let's do it, Berto. What do you say? Sounds fascinating. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor, and my favorite chord is probably an A suspended. Is that what you, you know, a, a suspended chord? Like a, a suspended two or four? Um, on a guitar, when you just do the two strings and a, it's like it's a an A it's the fourth, yeah, okay, yeah, an A four, suspended four is yeah. my is oh, my favorite nice. chord. That is a very nice chord. My second favorite chord is a is a C major seventh. Um, I just love that chord as well. Uh, Berto, who are you? My name is Umberto Castaneda. Okay, my favorite chord of all time, I think. It's going to sound super cheesy, but it's the C major chord. And I'll explain, of course. Well, how can you go with C major? Well, so let me, let me play these chords so people... So I, the a, okay. a suspended is... So let me turn up my guitar here. So that's A suspended uh, 7. YouTube loves this because then they resolve it to the E. <laughs> and then um, my uh, C major 7th is... Or another way to play it is if my guitar was in nice. tune. And then a, a C chord is just... Just a plain C, especially if you play it on the piano, because... Can you guess why it's my favorite chord? Um, because you're a happy fellow and you like happy chords? <laughs> well, I think it's a couple simple reasons. It's the first song I learned on the piano, which was Let It Be. And... Not only is it Let It Be, but it's also Imagine. So quite possibly the um, two favorite songs from Paul and John, just C major. So, you know, can't go wrong there. <laughs> yeah. So upper tier patron Bad Wolf said, had an email and said, Will you discuss music with Umberto more often? I've been listening mm -hmm. to, your other, to your older podcast episodes, and I fell in love with your song about Tiger Lily. It had me crying at work. I really oh, enjoy boy. listening to you guys talk about music and listening to music you guys create. I hope we can I hope we can maybe get more of it. Just know that little old me from Oklahoma is loving bread knife incident uh black heart emoji. So Ooh. in that episode we talked about uh so we <laughs> it was years ago that I thought we would do this little segment at the end of ep every episode where People wouldn't have to listen, but if they mm. wanted to, they could stick around and hear us talk about songs that we've written. And I remember this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of like the podcast Song Exploder, where we would sort of break down how we wrote it and how we came right. up with it, because it can be kind of interesting, or at least we like to nerd out on that. And we did it twice. You know, We did one of your songs, and we did one of my songs, and then there was such a... Uh, a, a lack of reaction. <laughs> Apparently I did all for you, which is about yeah. Tiger Lily. And I thought I would just, um, so I got this new guitar, by the way. Um, Wait, you got uh, another, another guitar? Show yeah. Me. So, so this Ooh. guitar has, it has an amp built in to the guitar. What? The, this song was written about, uh, two things. One is it's written about a cat that was, that died. One of Birdo's cats named Tiger Lily. Uh, this would have been 14 years ago. Yeah, 2007. And, yeah. She loved to be outside and would roam around the neighborhood, and she 
you you lived on a quiet cul-de-sac, but she got too close to the main road. Main she got road, yeah. she got hit and and she didn't die though, and uh, she was found almost dead. But then she she died later, yeah. or that you had to put her. Yeah, down? yeah, she died at the uh, pet at the okay at the what do you call it the vet. So I was so shaken by this that I had this image in my head of the cat tiger lily being hit by a car and the car didn't stop you know we yeah. we imagine that the car the driver knew that they had hit a cat and just drove off and i found that to be dark and yeah. also the metaphor is extended into a second realm of being broken up with essentially being or being distanced from like a cold marriage or something like that. So mm. it has two meanings. It has this literal meaning of being hit by a car and being, you know, the watch. I have this image of being speaking from Tiger Lily's perspective of watching the car drive off, you know? Yeah. Um, and this image of someone coming into your life and, running you over relationally essentially mm. so i'm just gonna play just a little bit of it oh sorry oh your And it um, uh, legitimately chokes me up, not only for Tiger Lily, but I guess it's probably a better time than ever to talk about my own cat that died. I know a lot of you know Michelle, and by this point when this episode airs, I might have already posted on Instagram, I'm not quite sure, but um, my cat, Michelle, many of you, the cat that you would hear on the podcast chiming in, she declined rapidly. She was sort of declining for a few months. You know, she wasn't eating as much. She wasn't moving around as much. But she was. She seemed totally fine uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, a little bit seemingly arthritic, a little bit hard of hearing. But she was 15, and I, I've had cats – live well into their 20s and so i thought you know we've got a long time with her and then she started i mean i won't go into the details but a lot of health problems and brought her into the vet a number of times and just really great doctors Uh, who um said you know look we could do a couple things maybe give her another couple months but it'll be painful and it might not even work and you know, it's time. And um, so, we, you know, I had to make that choice. Me and Stacy had to make that choice to put her down. And uh, um, that's so hard, man. Yeah. I see her out of the corner of my eye still. I'll be like, oh, you know, nope, she's, she's gone. Uh, 
you know, it's the helplessness that gets me. And I've cried, you know, a lot uh, by myself with Stacy in the vet's office. It's it's the helplessness that really gets me. The Tiger Lily was helpless when she got hit by a car. Michelle was helpless as she gets dragged to the vet to be euthanized. Um, just a frail little, you know, fuzzy body and the, the innocence of, of a cat, you know, the, the love that they give you and the chapters of your life that they are always there. They never complain really, you know, they, they want to be with you. Um, and you know, it's all for you, you know, the, the way, and then they're just taken away from you. And it's just a huge tragedy, you know, that pets don't live very long. And, um, so we have to go through this so often and and it sucks for them too. And so, like I said, um, you know, I've, I've sort of waited to talk about it because I don't know, it just felt private to me. And, and I know a lot of you listeners probably were attached to her as well. Uh, so I know that this might be hard for you. Um, you know, just cause you never met her as some of you have met her, <laughs> Birdo included, but I know that it can be hard. So, you know, we're all, we're all here to remember the beautiful fuzziness of Michelle and the, the assertive meowing of Michelle and the, <laughs> the involving purrs of Michelle. <laughs> yeah. The interrupting purring of Michelle. And, you know, she was great. And um, her ashes are now on the mantle next to several other animals that have died um, recently in our household. Uh, So, and I know, Berto, you lost your cat. I did lose a cat recently, too. Same, similar situation. She was uh, getting on in years. She had health issues um it was you know there was an uh, a procedure that i could do and i did it and it was you know pricey and then after that it was uh it was not gonna work (laughs) so made the very painful decision to also put her to sleep and man because of the pandemic i we uh, it was like a kind of thing where the person came to my place instead of me going to where they do it. And it was just holding her and looking at her and saying, and remembering that I got her when she was little, like little, just newborn, really. Um, She was being, quote unquote, taken care of by a friend of mine who really should not own cats. And so I adopted her. And she she was an introvert. She attacked my legs constantly, left scars for real. But over the years, you know, she mellowed out and she always was an introvert, but we just, you know, went through so many years together. And then at the end, me being the source of her final demise, it was brutal. 
Yeah. Her looking at me with those eyes, like, what's going on? Uh, yeah. We both got Michelle and Terracata at the same time. Uh, yeah. Around 2008. Yeah. Because it would make sense that after Tiger Lily died, that's when yeah. you that's right. got Terracata. And yeah, Terracata was great. Uh, had a very... Uh, had a modus operandi when it came to petting the cat. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah. So you know, I know if, you, if you pet her, she would always be like, <laughs> "Well, so okay." So here was the pattern: she would she would look at you, and she you know she was curious, and she'd want attention. And then I would, particularly because I know how to make cats feel comfortable, and you know she she would be she was kind of skittish. Sometimes, but I knew how to like approach her in a way that would, I would, you know, I'd make a mission of it. You know, sometimes you'd, you wouldn't see me for half an hour at your house because I'd be in your bedroom sort of coaxing the cat out of the closet or something. And then she would warm up and she'd, you know, she'd look like, okay, this is good. You know, she starts purring and then she'd always (laughs) flop on her back and she'd be like, okay, you know, rub my belly. So, okay, rub her belly. And then she would attack, you know, and it's like, well, what, which do you want? Do you want the pets or do you want the attack? You know, but and she had you never clipped her claws and so you didn't even sort of shave her back and, and so the no. she was um extremely vicious <laughs> like she'd go from Very zero much. zero to like eight oh, in, in, in a split second and, and that's what, okay this, i guess because and because in the beginning i try to power through it I try, well you know let's see if we can redirect to a different you know petting scenario and she was like nope we've crossed the rubicon i'm now in fight mode <laughs> so <laughs> Anyway, so let's get back to the topic of uh, psychology of music. So, uh, fan Facebook fan page mods and the Discord mods actually gathered a bunch of questions, bro. So, uh, someone on the fan page said, please discuss negative music and how it actually sometimes makes miserable people feel less alone. Therefore, it makes them feel better. Asking for a friend. Uh, uh, laughy face. So... Berto, what do you think? You know, negative, negative music, negative music, and how it actually sometimes makes miserable people feel less alone and makes them feel better. Oh, interesting, interesting. Well, so there is the phenomena. I don't know if you would call it negative, but um, so you know when when grunge music came out, and specifically, I think when Nevermind, when uh, Nirvana b- b- burst into MTV and onto the airwaves. I think a lot of people, the reason they could sort of relate or find some solace in it is because there there was this attitude of like, ah, everything is rough around the edges and sucky, but who cares? Because we're just rock and roll. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the ethos, but at the same time, that was kind of the thing. Grunge was like, you don't have to be polished and you don't have to sing lyrics that even make sense and... But, you know, we're just going to, like, be here. And life sucks anyway, so who cares? Um, And I think it did bring a sense of happiness in a weird way. Uh, I mean, when I first heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, uh, and by the way, I was a latecomer to Nirvana. I was a latecomer to a a lot of things. So that was the first song of theirs I heard. I heard it on on, uh, the the 107.7, The End. Uh, radio station. Yeah, the main alternative radio station in Seattle. Right. And I was sitting there, and I remember it was, it just came on, and I was like, 
Actually, the only Whoa, alternative radio station. Blasted so. me in the face with the yeah. You know how it starts soft and then it just blasts you. I loved it. I didn't catch the angst, I guess, because I just thought it was a well-written song. And I mean, I didn't understand what the hell he was saying, but I thought musically it was quite compelling and very energetic. And I remember I called Ty Verzoni, or maybe I talked to him the very next morning. I'm like, did you hear that song? He's like. Oh, yes, uh, Nirvana, yes. And we were just geeking out about it, like how amazing it was and how, the, how loud it gets soft. And, um, and so that had quite an effect. But, but then I did notice that a lot of people that were into the goth scene, actually, they liked, not only they liked that song, they liked a lot of um, songs by Nirvana too. And they generally liked pretty depressing music. So, yeah. um, and it gave them some fulfillment. Yeah, so the way I'd answer this is, and it's, you know, highly phenomenological, but negative music like uh, Depeche Mode or Death Metal, you know, something that's the opposite of happy, you know, the opposite of pop music, happy pop music, you know, why do miserable people feel, why do they like it? Why does it, why does it improve? Well, the cure. I think, <laughs> I think it, yeah, the cure, I, I, I mean, some cure songs are extremely happy, um, but some are you know on the goth side i think that it validates people when you feel sad and alone and angry and isolated and rejected and then you you hear music that evokes that feeling and you hear lyrics that at least point in that direction it reminds you that there are other people like you uh mm. who are you know, there's a there's a emotion. There's there's a whole set of emotions that can only be expressed through art and cannot be expressed through language. And any good song will do that to me, whether I wrote it or I listened to it. Where I, every song that I love, I, I I can tell you the emotion that it triggers in me, but I, I, it never gets to what the emotion actually is. Mm. Uh, it's totally beyond words. The and I'm not saying it's like some complicated mixture of emotions. You know, it's like a dash of this. It's literally like a different emotion that you can't, yeah. we don't have a word for it. So many songs are like that for me. And uh, it, and a lot of art is like that, you know, a, an abstract painting that is just like one color. And if you're into yeah. that sort of thing, you look at it and you're like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I know it's doing something to me. And you just can't put it into words. You yeah. can't say, oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling happy because, or I'm feeling uh, motivated by this. You know, you, you can't put it into <laughs> words. And so when you can be touched through art, through a song, but from an artist to you, you're 13 years old and this artist writes this song and it feels personal. You feel like this artist gets me, man. No one else gets me. And words don't even get me, but this song gets me. <clears throat> yeah. You know, when I heard blasphemous rumors when I was 14 years old by Depeche Mode, I, I was like, holy crap, this, this band gets me. You know, at the time it was, mm -hmm. it was, uh, Madonna and Michael Jackson and, <clears throat> and, you know, I didn't feel like they got me. <laughs> Depeche <laughs> Mode got me, even though I didn't really know what half the songs were about. Um, early REM, you know, they got me. Um, and Husker du, actually, who influenced Nirvana when I was in high school, they got me. I don't, I have, I didn't always know what they were talking about either. But so when you hear Kurt Cobain or all the guys in Nirvana, they'll say Husker du was a big influence. 
Husker Du was essentially, if you don't know the band, um, they were the original, uh, even before the Pixies, where they combined sort of, you know, you, with Nirvana, they combined like punk and metal with pop, which hadn't really been done in that way before. And Husker Du was doing that long before Nirvana did in a really good way. And, and, and when I discovered Husker Du, I remember I would be walking around my high school with my Walkman on and I'd be listening to some Husker Du and it's so angry and it's so, it's so, it's sad, but angry, you know, it's not just like mm-hmm. metal angry. It's like, it's, you know, like a lot of Nirvana songs where it's like, it's angry, but it's also sad, you know, and it's, it's hard to describe anyway, but I just remember it, it, it just made my day to walk through the fakery of high school and the annoyance of, of, you know, I don't know how to describe it, just the, the pressure and all the pent up emotions you have at that age. And to just feel this energy of just like, dun, 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 could you be the one they talk about life as a game that only you can make. And, you know, and you're just like, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> You feel validated. You feel alive. You feel like th- the world has meaning and right. a, a connection to the earth or to the universe. Or you know, I don't know. How to, I don't know how to describe it. Um, yeah. Also, I think that music. Uh, if you know, there's a lot of anthropologists who will hypothesize about this. Music wasn't invented when we had Spotify or, you know, <laughs> when we discovered LPs, music was around uh, way before and 200,000 years ago, it's likely there was some form of music, whether it was just humming to a, to a infant child or yeah. singing as a way of coordinating a group of workers or soothing people at night as the wolves were circling the camp it, it's a way of coordinating. It's a way of soothing and, and the, you know, the heartbeat of your mother when you're in the womb, dun, dun. you know, it's, it's no mistake that a lot of songs are tempo, uh, synchronized with the average human heartbeat. You know, the mm-hmm. average human heartbeat is 60 beats per minute and the average tempo is 120, which is just double that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, half notes essentially are on the on the uh, the heartbeat, right? The quarter notes right. are, are on the 120, and the half notes are on the 60. And so it doesn't seem, you know, who knows? But it, it's it doesn't seem to be a mistake. And and how we feel when we have a song at 145 BPM, it feels rushed, right? You know, it's like a stroke song. Stroke songs are are up are faster they feel they feel like they're pressuring forward because they're faster than the average heartbeat to feel that where we associate that with running you know with with anxiety <laughs> and slow songs are slower than that because that's when you're relaxed by the fire and everything's you know relaxing right <laughs> and uh so uh it, when we hear a song that speaks to us you know I, it goes deep and but now I'm just sounding like a stoner. What do you think, Bruno? <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. Like, as you were saying, you know, things that, that where they got you, which is funny. I was thinking about it as you were saying that. And I was thinking, when was the first time I felt that music got me? 
because I've had a very close relationship with music, as you know, since I was a baby. But at the same time, um, so A, I've mentioned that I've never liked being into scenes, right? And number one. Number two, I used to be a lot more transactional about music, meaning I would like a song. Like, that's a good song. And I didn't really necessarily know the artists or, or care even. Okay, so put that in as the backdrop. So then I was asking myself, when did I feel got it? It wasn't Depeche Mode. I love Depeche Mode. It wasn't like Nirvana or something like that. But when was it? Oh, what a lonely boy. No, no, no. That's too late. That's too bad. I see where you're going with it. So then I came to to two two angles. First one was definitely in my later years, but um, when I was probably in my teen years, really. Billy Joel. And specifically, his first album, Cold Spring Harbor. There is a song in there called Tomorrow Is Today. And the lyrics of that song got me because mm. he's saying, you know, I've been living for the moment, but I just can't have my way. And then he's talking about how tomorrow is today, but he's like fantasizing, dreaming the whole day away, essentially. And I just, it just resonated so deeply with me, especially in my twenties. Like it, I, I always felt like, oh man, every day it's like, it's like my head is in the clouds and I'm thinking, I'm wishing for tomorrow, but tomorrow's already here because I wasted today. Like, it just got me. So I was, I was thinking, maybe that's the first time someone got me. But then I remembered The Carpenters when I was really little. And I remember listening to her voice yeah, and listening to her words. And there was also this connection because my mom liked her and she sent me a little tape with two of their songs and a... And a uh, um, also Rocky Mountain High by uh, John Denver. But so I, I would listen to their songs and she got me. I, that I felt, I felt God. I felt like, oh, she gets life. She gets something that I, that I am or believe in. You know, sing, sing a song, make it simple to last your whole life long, you know? Um, and then the top of the world and, and like all these songs just I, it, it, that was the first time I felt God. <laughs> mm. So we have a lot of emails we got to get to and I know that you're on a time crunch so I'm going to kind of race through and then we're also going to get to uh, at least one of your songs Birdo that you wrote and we'll play a clip from yeah. that. Uh, someone else on Facebook uh, I don't know the names I'm sorry but they said that they wrote an article on the psychology of music published in Psychology Magazine here in the UK they said that here in the UK Music changes our brains. So this is the the words in this person. Music changes our brains to be more similar on a cellular level just by experiencing the same music. Could this be the evolutionary purpose of music and art? On an evolutionary level, it seems to serve no adaptive purpose except to bond us. Like sex, which is a dangerous thing to do on the savanna, was needed to reproduce and bond. It seems that our brains tell us when we're less alone by listening to, performing, and dancing together. So, end of quote. So what this person is saying is the speculation, strong speculation, is that, you know, like sex. So when you have sex, it's, it, it's you know, at least takes a, a number of minutes. You're vulnerable during that moment. You could, you could be killed by a leopard or something. But it's important to take that risk because you need to reproduce, but also you need you need to bond. 
So there's there's always pros and cons to every evolved mechanism of our behavior. And why would we, you know, because some species they they reproduce for in in the span of like three seconds. <laughs> be, the reason why is because look, you just had to exchange some DNA and and you're good. Why would we have this this build up period where it takes a while to stimulate every you know it's not it doesn't take a long time but it you know it takes a while why would we do it that way well it's because we bond and it helps to you know keep people as a couple and with art why would we do this you know because it seems likely that back in the savannah hundred thousand years ago we were dancing or singing or you know doing rhythm things or something why would we do that when it attracts predators, when it attracts rival tribes, you know, when it's, it doesn't, you know, you, you're not reproducing when you're doing art, you're not getting food when you're making art, you're not, you know, it's, it's not safety oriented there, but there seems to be something very functional about it that helps us to feel together. It helps us to feel bonded. It helps us to coordinate. It helps us to feel safe with each other. And it's not just a intellectual thing. It's, a deep emotional neurological thing that they show through research that when people listen to the same music, their brains sync up or when they perform things together, their brains sync up so that you are attuned to each other. You know, each other, you feel together. In fact, uh, um, one of the most profound human experiences I've ever had was there was this, uh, I was in a band in college and uh, we would finally sort of, my songwriting ability had finally kind of arrived, I think. And I'd finally been in a band that was pretty good. And we wrote this one song. It was called six, four, cause it started out in six, four time. So I just, <laughs> I just called it six, four. <laughs> and we, uh, you know, I, I wrote the song and, and so I, you know, I was telling everyone in the band, how, you know, how it went and, and everyone kind of made up their own parts. And we like, musicians talk about it being in the groove right you know you're you're in the groove get into the groove as madonna would say well that's a metaphor for what it feels like to be in a band where you just feel like you're not really in the groove and then when you find the groove as a group mm -hmm. as a collective you just feel it and it is it is euphoric and all I hadn't written any lyrics. I hadn't written any melody. All I had written is the guitar part and the rhythm and the sort of structure of the, you know, intro verse chorus. We played the intro verse chorus, intro verse chorus, intro verse chorus. We played it for I'm guessing like 35 minutes straight. Wow. You know, it was it. It's probably a 45 second turnaround. But we we were I could we all knew that we were euphoric as we were. <laughs> playing this because it felt so good um i had a similar experience with you birdo when you wrote um uh aquarian? Da -da, yeah aquarian, aquarian. And why did i know you were going to say that because i know what you're talking about yeah. because you changed it <laughs> yeah uh but at the very least when we first jammed on it and you you said you know i kind of want the guitar part to be kind of like this and and so i was picking out a guitar part and we played it the verse chorus verse chorus verse yeah. chorus we played it this one night for a long period of time like, yeah. like like way beyond you would need to to rehearse a song or to develop a song and and i remember i remember you standing there to my right and i'm and there was a feeling about it yeah you're playing yeah. bass 
yeah. and singing, and you hadn't really written the lyrics yet, I don't think. No, I was probably mumbling, but it was. Yeah. It had that groove because I think I think we had the drum machine going. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah, and I remember again late at night, and I just all I I didn't want to stop, even though yeah. it was the same verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. <laughs> I didn't want to stop. It felt so good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, that's what this person on the Facebook fan page was doing a research study about and what a lot of anthropologists will, will talk about. And I wish any, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'm not a musician or I can't songwrite. I, I wish everyone could have that experience in some form of art. And music really lends itself to that because it's so immediate. Uh, there's ways you can do it and, you know, dance movement or dance or, you know, painting or something with someone. But there's something about like a drum circle, a lot of people get attracted to that. I think for that reason, it, it it's just it feels so satisfying to be in sync with other people and to right. and to be riffing kind of and to be just on the edge of it falling apart, but it working and it you know, it's it's just an amazing experience, as you know, Berto. It yeah. really is, and and I think why we all enjoy concerts so much because. Right. Yeah. You get a glimpse of that. And, and, you know, that's why we clap or you, you move your little cell phone or, or lighter back and forth because you feel some of that. It's interactive. You know, you're, you're, in, you're in the room. You're with them. You know, that's why that's a right. concert feels so different than just sitting at home listening on your earbuds. Um, another question on the Facebook fan page. Does Kirk Oberto know instances of clients who had certain musical tastes and also had diagnosed illnesses? Do they notice some interesting patterns? Well, Berta, you're not a clinician, so I'll just answer this one quickly. Um, anecdotal, I don't assess this, but I will say that, yeah, some emo kids were often depressed and or thought about suicide, and they listened to emo music. You know, rave kids sometimes were into substance abuse problems, but really, um, it's not something that I ask. You know, I, I guess 99% of my clients, I don't know what their musical taste was. <laughs> Maybe I should ask more. <laughs> but I suspect that it's not. Uh, there's not a huge correlation. Uh, next question. The the concept of the language of music by Derek Cook. It's an older book full. So some of the Facebook fan pages, right? It's an older book full of examples of common intervals, chord progressions, and motifs in Western tonal music that that are used across various genres to evoke specific emotional responses. So, Berto, can you relate to this? Yeah, and there's this chicken and egg question of. Uh what came first, the cultural influences of the music or the reactions, the emotional reactions? Right. Because, you know, you and I, if, if I play you a nice major chord, let's, I'm on the piano and I play a nice D major chord and I kind of arpeggio it. Yeah. It's like, you're not threatened by that, right? Right. But then I go down to... So this is the D major. Yeah. Yeah, so nice. We're like, we're having a good time, right? But then all of a sudden, I play you, you know, like an A minor. Like, what happened? Well, what's, what's going to happen? In, in our musical influences, this is a little darker. There's something. And then if I played you like, a, like, can you do an E diminished or an E? So know, I, have my guitar, I have my guitar toned down. Or turn down a whole step. Or just play so. any 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 full diminished seven chord. Seven chord. Yeah. I don't know if that's diminished. It's a seven chord. <laughs> Basically, if you play a full diminished or a diminished chord, 
it starts getting even more evil. But but is then it, you could say, chord? well, uh, n- not exactly. Um, you need the. It's a minor with the with the flat fifth and the flat seven. Minor with the flat fifth. And the flats. Yeah, that's a diminishment. So then, you know, in Western culture, as you probably know, the the interval of that diminished, that's the the C to to an F sharp, that was called the devil's interval, the tritone. And it sounds evil, man. If you hit that, like play a C and an F sharp and just kind of, oh God, what's happening? That's evil. That's an evil sound. But is that evil universally? Or is that cultural? Right. Well, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I I love the way you describe that. It's like, because every time you watch a horror movie, they will do a dissonant chord like that, you know, or they'll go, you know, like, uh, they'll go like, or, you know, how would they do that? It'd be like... So, but if you're shown skeletons and zombies when you hear that music from the age of two forward, then yeah. which came first? Was it the, cause, cause they, and they've actually done studies like this where they'll go to cultures that don't have any exposure to common music of India or United States, you know, some, uh, tribe that is isolated from the rest of the world and they'll play them tones that are very much associated with a particular emotion for us and and they'll have a completely different reaction yeah now so, i will i will add that granted if you if you just go by um vibrations and and, and mathematics and, and yeah. mathematics it's true that when you have tones like certain tones vibrate at you know oscillate differently you know yeah. and so like a you know that, a fifth. that could cause a physio- physiological change in, in you right know, like you know, a, so. i'll just play a fifth you know so yeah. that in in the in the you know the bottom note there is an overtone of the fifth and when you play the fifth it syncs up with the overtone in up. the fifth. Whereas when you play that that diminished fifth, yeah. it's like uh, wait, what's happening? Where yeah, there's no there's there's no um, overtone of the diminished, or there might be like really high up in the yeah. frequency, like high, right. you know, but not very perceptive. And so when you do that, and particularly if I do like a half tone. Um, and I go right. Then, then you're really off off of not only the overtones, but you're out of sync with Western ideas of intervals. You know, and it, so absolutely. And then it, you know, it's also hard to argue with. Like, okay, if you hear, even as a child, loud voices with loud strident notes going confutatis maladictis. Like as a child, even without context, you might be like, uh, "I don't like what I'm hearing." Like that sounds a little scary okay. because it's loud, because it's in your face, because it's kind of sharp and uh, aggressive or something aggressive yeah. and not well rounded, right? Yeah. Whereas if you hear like, "Mary had a little," you know, that sounds more comforting, more rounded, more you know. Yeah. So that there could be something that is more like a predator sounds more less well-rounded, more aggressive, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I could I could talk for days about chord progressions and how they make me feel, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give just two different examples that popped in my head. Uh, one, so there are two, pro- there are two chord progressions, uh, regardless of key, 
um, if you're familiar, just, you know, I could play it in any key, that I thought I invented. <laughs> uh, there were chord <laughs> progressions that I, I wrote and having maybe heard it before but didn't recognize it. And then uh, I thought I'd stumbled upon something. I don't, I don't remember thinking this, but I, I didn't recognize it as something I'd heard before. Then later on, I would hear music and I'd be like, oh, there's my chord progression. I must have heard that before. So let me give you an example. The very first time this happened, and this was a you know, similar thing, but I was alone where I, I just couldn't stop playing the chord progression because I loved it so much. And it's not, both of these chord progressions are, they don't really have a key. They, they don't follow the rules of, of typical music, but it still sounds good. So it, they're all major chords. It's, you know, major B, I mean, this is down a half step. So it's, so it's A and E and G and D. So it's So I thought I invented that. <laughs> I, 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 but it's actually in a lot of other songs like there's a, a Smashing Pumpkins song Porcelain of the Vast Oceans that actually has this it's not in the same key but it's you know. So same I just I, I just thought I would play like a little bit of this song and the Berto, you know, you'll we'll play one of your songs. Uh, so So I wrote this in college. I was like 18, 19 years old. That I would not say But I really think That I have to tell Expectations That it would not come Expectations Of a different man Anyway, I couldn't mm. stop playing that and oh, singing yes. to it And then later realized that, you know, it's actually... Not a super common progression, but other people had written it. The other chord progression, which is a sim similar kind of mathematical uh, principle that I was following, is is this chord progression. And Berto, you know both of these songs because we actually played both these songs eventually. So, oh yeah. So so if if you don't know music, you wouldn't. You'd be just like I don't know. They're just chords, but. If you're a musician, you hear there's something wrong, but it still sounds good. <laughs> and I, again, wrote this chord progression thinking I had invented something when I was like 25. And then I proceeded to hear uh, Bob Dylan's Lay Lady Lay has the same <laughs> chord progression. R Roy Scott, Miss It So Much, has the chord progression. But, Bach had all of the above right, times 10. <laughs> right. And so this, this song goes... And I didn't write the lyrics. Uh, my bandmate Pete Pete Noel wrote the lyrics, but I wrote the song. It's the wait. It's the nervousness again. Yeah, I speak before the thought, and we've all been the creep. Opened when we should have knocked. Yeah, you say you don't pretend, while you keep on leading on. But it's hard to see things through when you're tying off the knot. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the chords don't, they're not in a key. You, like, it, the first two chords are in a key, but then the third chord, you're like, what are you doing? And then the fourth chord, you're like, what are you doing? But it still works. It, it, it has this beautiful descending chromatic element to it, the, the same as the other chord progression I played, which I really love. You know, you used to tell me, or at least you told me at one point, that you didn't really 
give too much thought to lyrics, but you you write really interesting lyrics. Well, I didn't write those lyrics, but <laughs> okay, but, but but fair enough. But but your songs have interesting lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I consider myself a songwriter. I consider myself a chord progression creator. I consider myself an understander of music. I do not consider myself a lyricist or a poet. I've never considered myself and. Uh, whenever I get a chance, I love it when other people just write lyrics for me because yeah, it just interesting. You know, uh, I would every song I've ever written, I always write the lyrics last, and sometimes I write the lyrics the last possible moment. We'd be driving to the studio to record a song, and I'd be writing the lyrics as we're driving there. <laughs> I'd be like, "Crap, I got to write some words." And yeah, uh, li- lyric writing came super late for me. I thought I could write lyrics, and I, I realized well into my 30s that I couldn't like every song I'd ever written prior to my 30s I looked back and I was like I mean I guess there was a germ of an idea but I didn't really and anyways and so it was it really was our project missionary where I finally wrote lyrics that I'm not that I'm okay with that I'm like yeah okay actually I I like your lyrics I you you have some uh, really unique turns of phrases and clever word choices and your sort of the mindscape that you paint is consistent through the song and, and I appreciate that but that's the, the you're basing that on what you know yeah and what came before you wouldn't have made the same comments about it. <laughs> maybe yeah. but it took me a long time and I didn't realize but I probably it, wouldn't listen to the lyrics I, like when I would listen true. to your music <laughs> I, I, I I'm uh, any song, I'm, I'm almost yeah. never listening to the lyrics. I'm almost always listening to literally everything else. But anyway, let's take a break. When we get back, Berto, let's analyze one of your songs. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. So I want to do a OPP, an old patron prize segment here. Last time OPP. we did... We, we, yeah, what's the song? What's the OPP it's song? Easy as one, two, three. Okay, I like it. So this, these are patrons that joined, you know, a long time ago in December of 2015, and they're still patrons of the podcast today. We have Kelly from Redwood City, California. We have Kate, who doesn't have a place, but Kate, Kate M. And we have uh, Louis Pavlov, who is from Rochester Hills, uh, Minnesota, MI, Michigan. We have Karen from Live Iviona, Michigan. MI oh. is Michigan, is it not? I think that I is. I hope so. Yeah. Um, we have Joanna from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, someplace I, that I would go there every summer, Coeur d'Alene. We have Megan from Canton, Georgia, and we have Leanne, who doesn't have a place. But So Woo! thank you so much for being a pat- patron, not only a patron, but a patron for that long, almost six years. Yeah. Kelly, Kate, Lewis, Karen, Joanna, Megan, and Leanne just... Incredible. I mean, it's just so great. Thank you so much. Okay, so Berto, uh, let's play one of your songs. And uh, I asked you to get a song sing, together. I could sing one. How, how about I sing one of my okay. songs? Okay, yeah, 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 do it. And then maybe you can put the link to the, or the, the reference in the note, in the in Well, the it's on Spotify that. under Missionary. Is that uh, Actually, name? this one is from Plastic Polly. Plastic See you Polly. next Wednesday. Okay, so you can go to the Plastic. The the album. Yeah. Pl- Plastic Polly on Spotify. What's the name of the song? The name of the album is See You Next Wednesday. The name of the song is Morning Sun. Okay. So this and is this has a psychological a bent to it. Yeah. Uh, let's see if I can even do this. Call someone 
And tell them that you need a friend And tell them that you're lonely Show them what you showed me You someone And feed them all the lies you want And drag them down the spiral Somewhere I'll never find you Just take them to the dark Dark night Is that the morning sun I see? Will it start warming part of me? Cause I have turned to ice and stone And stop pretending nothing's wrong so, so what's that's the song first about? verse and chorus. What's and I encourage about? you to, to listen to the actual version because it's got music. All right. So this song I wrote about a dear friend and uh, their addiction, their addiction and their, uh, they would, they, they would come to me for help. Yeah. And so, you know, it says, call someone and tell them that you need a friend and tell them that you're lonely. Show them what you showed me and then use someone and feed them all the lies you want and drag them down a spiral somewhere I'll never find you. And then the chorus part or the pre-chorus is just take them to the dark, dark night. And then the chorus talks about this morning sun. So is that the morning sun I see? Will it start warming part of me? Because I have turned to ice and stone and stop pretending nothing's wrong. Uh, The significance for me was I continuously had hope, but the more times I would get contacted to try to help, the less hope I would have. And it would drag me down into the mess, into the maelstrom, into the spiral. Um, and then I just, I just thought, okay, well, maybe the only way for me to see the morning sun is to turn away. And this is the, I've turned to ice and stone and stopped pretending nothing's wrong. Because for a long time, I thought I kind of denied the reality of the situation. Or I hoped, you know, I was like, well, we'll pull out of this nosedive together. Um, But it was continuously, I was continuously disappointed. And quite honestly, I got to the point where I, I told myself that I needed to draw some boundaries and become cold. Uh, cold enough, I should oh, say. Oh, interesting. In order to even retain the friendship and potentially to help by not em- enabling. Yeah. Um, I, I will, I'm happy to report that we're still friends and uh, things have improved a billion percent. Um, but I no longer am in a cycle that I was. So anyways, that's what this song is about. And, and it was, it's really hard to write because... On the one on the surface, it feels like an indictment of my of my friend and their situation, but it's really more about me. It's about me breaking apart from that situation. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I heard the themes, but I didn't know that's what it was about. Uh, but hearing that makes it richer as an experience to hear the lyrics for sure. So. We have a lot of questions from people on Discord that I want to kind of race through. And then if we have some extra time, we'll do a little bit more ad-libbing. But Nini on Discord, and again, I want to thank 
Discord guardian Zach for push, pu- putting this together. Nini asks, which attachment style is associated with songwriting? Uh, well, very quickly, I don't know. I couldn't find any research on it. But um, anecdotally, there doesn't seem to be any attachment style that's associated with songwriting. Um, you know, John Lennon seemed preoccupied, disorganized. Paul seemed avoidant, narcissistic. So those are pretty opposite spectrums. You could see how... Uh, narcissism might help secure, you know, being secure might help just kind of keep your life together so you can write some music, but maybe being disturbed or preoccupied or insecure might also help because you have longing and something to express. You know, I, I think there are stories we tell ourselves about what makes a good songwriter. And I, I, I've just seen as a musician myself, I've seen a lot of different kinds of people. Now I could tell you what kind of, attachment styles work well in a band (laughs) because it's like being married to someone without the sex. I remember saying that uh, early in my life and, you know, in bands I was in, I was like, you know, being in a band is like being married to someone without the sex. You uh, have to negotiate. You have to work together. You fight, you depend on each other. You let each other down. You hurt each other's feelings. You know, it's hard, you know, and it's, it's no wonder that bands break up all the time. And the, you know, the fact that John Lennon only lasted in a band for about seven or eight years is, you know, probably due to his issues. But anyway, uh, Soft Noodles asks, do you and Birdo have any songs that helped you get through difficult times? Birdo, name one song that got through you through a difficult time. Oh, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, um, well, actually, so the one I'll say is uh, um, Rocky Mountain High. Uh, John Denver. So this is a song that was in a tape that had three songs. It had two Carpenter song and this song that my mom sent to me when I was very little and I was no longer living with her. Uh, and so that song and the, and the Carpenter's ones had really strong significance to me, but it came back for me. So it was really weird. The, this movie series, uh, th- what's that series where uh, the um, final destination where like they're, they're getting on the plane and then, one person escapes dying on the plane, but then death comes after him. Kind of a silly movie series. But the song that was playing in the plane was uh, that one, Rocky Mountain High. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, man, how unfortunate, because now I'm going to have that association. Well, shortly after that, I had some some really difficult personal times. Like I was going through, um, I was in a hard emotional place. I, I would even say I was feeling a bit of depression, maybe. Um, and, and I actually remember, I thought, well, what if I hear some John Denver and specifically Rocky Mountain High, cause it's the song I've loved. And I was afraid at first. I'm like, but no, what if it's like the movie and by listening to that song, something bad happens and that, but I forced myself to not be superstitious and just listen. And it was glorious because that song, I mean, John Denver has a way to make things sound elevated to the highest of the high. And so, and then listening to the song, it's like, he was born in the summer. And it's like about someone and he, he's longing for this place and, and the mountains let him even speak to God. Oh man, it just lifted my spirits. It absolutely helped me. Yeah. Yeah. John Denver... I, I don't listen enough to John Denver. Um, uh, there's about five songs that are just transcendent, for sure. For me, I don't, you know, I don't really have a song. 
that I can think of that got me through something, you know, like a, like a death or a, you know, hard time in my life. I, I don't really have, you know, I, I'm always listening to music. So it's like, I have these albums that are sort of associated with a time in my life and there, and that time had good and bad moments. There's, there's bitter sweetness to the memories from that time. So it's hard for me to think, but you know, I will just come back to Depeche Mode and Husker Du in high school. Depeche Mode at the time was really uh, alone or at least one of the only uh, artists in music that was creating sounds and moods of that type. I mean, you could argue that like uh, Joy Division and early New Order, maybe early Tears for Fears, uh, this kind of thing. But there was something about Depeche Mode that, and obviously Depeche Mode had really happy songs, particularly when they still had Vincent in the band. But, but like I said, Blasphemous Rumors, um, you know, Fly in the Windshield, uh, Everything Counts. These songs ha- had such a mood and, uh, you know, I was a moody teenager and it really helped me, I think, to have these songs to live with. I just remember, I, you know, I'd put on the LP in my room and I would just sit there and stare at the album cover. In fact, what, I have that album behind me. If you've ever seen the bookshelf behind me, you know, catching up with, it's basically a best of album that came out like before they were big. It was like, they came out with a kind of a compilation and that album, you know, it's a big deal. The other, uh, the other album is warehouse by Husker du. Again, that anger, that angst, the the angst that people discovered when Nirvana came out, that's what I discovered with Husker du. Uh, Leo asks, how much can you tell about a person or demographic based on the music that they listen to? Uh, what I'll say is that uh, I don't know the research, but you can. I'm quite positive that research has shown that based on you know what style of music someone listens to, you could absolutely make some strong predictions of political views, age, gender, region, ethnicity, nationality, this kind of thing. I mean, the fact that I listen to, you know, the fact that I named Depeche Mode puts me at a certain age, right? So you could say, well, he's he's likely an, an 80s teen. He is likely from a more urban area as opposed to a more uh, rural area. He's yeah, like, <laughs> he's likely uh, an American, or at least you know either UK or he's he's not likely from Indonesia, you know, for example. Um, so there there are all sorts of um, associations that I'm quite positive you could you could draw. Um, like, from what's your favorite? What's your favorite uh, Juan Luis Guerra song? Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> uh, yeah. Um, also, Leo asks, uh, what about people who don't enjoy music? Berto, have you ever heard of these people? Oh, yes. Well, and specifically, specific kinds of music. Uh, I think we talked about before the Beatles haters. That is yeah. its own but, but, but some people don't like music at but all. Some people don't like music. Yeah, and I've met a couple of them in my life. Now, I almost have, I almost feel sadness, right? Because it's not like they're lying to me. They're not doing it to be cool. They, they just really feel no enjoyment. And I've, I've tried, like, I've, I've poked at it, like... Uh, in, f- in fact, so one of these people I knew in college, I- I've lost contact, but it was certainly um, at the time I was in my band with people you know in college, and I thought at first maybe they were just saying that because they don't like our band or they don't want, and it- but no, it was really like music was not a thing in their life at all. 
Right. And what Leo was asking is, you know, why is this? Because it feels biological, and I think maybe Leo might be one of these people. So the first thing I'll say is there's a tremendous amount of stigma around people like this because they are rare, and there's this assumption that, like, they're a stick in the mud or something. But, yeah, there seems to be a, a percentage of people who secretly or maybe outwardly just just they don't they don't they see other people enjoying music you know oh i love this song or i want to listen to this album or i want to go to this concert or that's the song i want to hear during my wedding and they're just like i do not understand you people like music is just one of those things that you just have to endure you know or it's one of those things that you know it just sort of happens i could imagine for i can relate to it for me there are like with dance, for example, like ballet, I do not under, when I see ballet, I'm like, I, I get that it's, it's hard. I, they're doing things that are very technically difficult, but I don't understand why people would spend their time and money going to a ballet to watch ballet. Like why, <laughs> why do you want to watch this? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, I, you know, again, I get the technical, but I, I get no artistic pleasure from watching ballet maybe there are a couple moments where i'm like oh okay that was kind of impressive but i'm mostly listening to the music i'm just like uh, the music i enjoy but the ballet i'm just like i don't get it I, I, you know but i look around me and i'm like well obviously it, there's something to this that i just don't get and so I, I think that we can all relate to that and for some people music is that thing they're like i wow everyone's really into they're spending a lot of time and energy on this thing and i don't understand it why would that be? Well, you know, we don't know. Uh, we don't know why we like anything, <laughs> but it seems possible that it's biological. Some people are just born that way, you know, meaning that their brain just doesn't sync up in the same way that kind of we were talking about earlier. Could be trauma. You could have trauma around music that just makes it difficult for you. You could also have grown up in a family that didn't listen to much music. You know, for me, for example, I grew up with a lot of music in, in my life, and I know you did too, Berto. Yeah. Uh, at church, we sang all the time. At home, my dad, my older brother, my best friend Tommy put on LPs all the time, ACDC, Beatles, Beach Boys, um, Cool and the Gang, Santana, The Knack, uh, uh, Stevie Wonder. You know, to this day, when I hear those albums in particular, but when I hear music that kind of reminds me of that time, it it touches me because, you know, I was three years old, I was seven years old, I was 10 years old, and I was with my family, either singing in church or listening to music. And so if you didn't have that experience and your family just never listened to music, then I could see how by the time you're an adult, it just it just doesn't feel like something that you're into, you know? Although I got to say, now that I'm thinking about it, no one in my household in Colombia actually did listen to music. Uh, okay, when I was very young, my dad was very much into classical music. But then he got on this kick where he actually didn't like it because he felt it was like too... Bourgeoisie. Bourgeoisie, yeah, it was like, yeah. So so he didn't listen to music. My grandma, grandpa, and her and my grandma's sister, they didn't really listen to music. Although but, they did but like when I think of But when I think tenors. of Columbia, when I think of Columbia, I think of... Lots of music, right? And dancing and... Yeah. No, they yeah. didn't. And then yet they had But your friends? Big... Your friends? Okay, yes. Yeah. So I listened to radio all the time. And then my my 
my best friend in the bus to school every day she was a, a music nut and we would sing songs together all the time and so i was obsessed with music my cousin was obsessed with music and and a couple of my friends were obsessed with music but it is interesting that my household was definitely not yeah polar bear cabal says why do songs get stuck in our heads and is there any simple way to get rid of the song that may be stuck in your head for weeks or months uh, I'm just going to rattle through the research here. We call these earworms, of course. Uh, Jakubowski et al. Uh, did uh, some research on this. So the triggers for a seemingly for an earworm are you have an emotional state. So, for example, you're angry. You know, you're pissed off at politics and rage against the machine pops into your head. Or you have associations, like an old friend texts you and you remember a song you listen to, and, that, and then it, you have an earworm from that. Or you just recently heard a song, or you hear a, you hear a jingle in a commercial that you you recently heard it, or you heard it enough times that it's just sort of in your brain. Or another trigger is that you're just not actively thinking about anything else. So earworms tend to pop up in our head when we're not occupied with other thoughts. And the melodies that they found that are more likely to become earworms are faster tempo. Is that interesting to you, Berto? That like faster tempo songs are more likely to become earworms. Whoa! Do you do that you ever get do you ever get an earworm? Like, what's an earworm that you get? Do you ever get one? Yeah, but I mean, well, let me put it this way: I don't remember that often, or maybe not too much at all, getting annoying earworms. I just get songs that yeah that I like right. that I end up you know going over and 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 over in my head. Yeah, but that's okay. Right, like. Uh, that Roiksop song I mentioned earlier, <laughs> like I, I, it, yeah, it's funny. I don't think I ever thought about this because when people talk about earworms, I never thought about it, but I can't relate to it. I don't think I've ever had an earworm, yeah. but I Isn't think it's that, because <laughs> we enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. We, well, cause, and the things that are annoying, we don't think are good music. So we're like, I don't we know. don't think about it. Yeah. Uh, or we have a, I don't know, just an appreciation for music. Or, you know, another thing that could be, Birdo, is that we're songwriters. And so sometimes I'll write a song in my head or we understand music so that maybe if we have an earworm, we can quickly replace it with something that we like or something. You know, we have like... Well, the, and you might be onto something because we are experienced with having to try to keep things running over and over and over in our head because we're trying to write it yeah. and we don't want to forget it yeah. and we actually actively re recount it, recount it, recount it. Yeah. So that doesn't seem like foreign or weird. Yeah. Like, uh, actually, I have... So the current earworm in my head is... So I was, I was actually doing a, a reaction video for YouTube to 90 Day Fiance and there was this long stretch where there wasn't really anything to react to and so i picked up my electric guitar that i just got and i wrote this song and so this has been the earworm in my head so tell me what you think of it Brito. oh sorry So it. Oh God! Now you've got an earworm in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so I just uh, that's in my as I'm going through my day and my brain isn't thinking about anything that that tune will just kind of come because I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what sort of song it's going to be you know 
Meta. You know, I'm thinking, is it sort of like a spacey song? Um, and it's actually like it's actually like five bars, uh, which I tend anyway. Um, also, you know, there's there's a song that Eric wrote, Eric Lindman wrote back in college. So how many years ago? And to this day, like we never even finished the song. I I made like some version of it, but to this day, randomly, even just now, the little intro because it's it was just this very simple on a G and a must be a. A C or something like it, it just goes dun 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 da da bum 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 da and that like pops into my head all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't dislike it because you like no, it. No, it's fun, and, yeah, and in yeah. fact, it, it's kind of groovy. And then I start singing the lyrics I remember. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's something about that, like for because people often talk about earworms, and I'm always like. I don't think I, I get earworms because people talk yeah. about it like it drives them nuts. Like it's but, un, yeah, like it's but, bad. But but you and I, when we have these things running through our head, we're, we enjoy it. We're like, yeah, I'm working on something or, uh, oh, I like being reminded of that little moment. Anyway. Right. Um, also, having a rising and falling contour is another melody that tends to become an earworm. So something goes, you know. Also, unusual intervals. You know, like mm, yeah, some Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Um, and techniques to get rid of earworms is to listen to the tune all the way through. Why would you think that would work? Oh, interesting. Um, let's see. So if you're listening to the tune, you get the context, not just the little the little snippet. Yeah. 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 I think and that's the context that. then maybe gives you a bigger mental picture and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. The, the metaphor in my head is that you, you're kind of combing. It's like the sand you're, you're taking a rake and you're just evenly raking the whole sand bed. You know, you're, you're starting from beginning. You're going all right. the way to the end instead of just like some disturbance in the middle of the stand. Anyway, um, <laughs> Replace it with another piece of music, which obviously makes sense. And here's the kicker, Birdo. Chewing gum apparently helps. Oh, what? Why would it that It destroys work? the rhythm. Makes weird sounds. Who oh, you knows? must love it when people chew gum into the mic. Yeah, please don't. Don't even. <laughs> God damn. Uh, Samina says, can you talk about using music and therapy? Yeah. So you can listen to our episode at 947, August 28. 2019 called music therapy in the military we actually interviewed i think our very first scholarship winner yeah her name was hannah is hannah bronson she's a music therapist and or she wanted to become a music therapist or wait i'm looking at the so you can go to our website and look her up but anyway she's a music therapist the point is is that listen to that episode and as with most expressive therapies whether it's art therapy or dance movement therapy you can use music and therapy for emotional expression, which are, you know, you can, you can express emotions more fully or differently than you can by talking about it. You know, when you talk about your emotions, that's just one way of expressing your emotion to yourself and other people. And as I was talking about earlier, like a painting or a song can express an emotion that you can't even put into words. And so it can be similar in therapy. Also meaning making, you can, write a song or play a song, like say you lost a cat and you want to hear a song or sing a song or write lyrics. And then the therapist writes the song that expresses your sadness of losing someone. 
it also just feels good in therapy to do things like to express yourself through music or to play with other you know play music with your therapist or with other people a lot of music therapy is is a group therapy experience and also you can connect with other people including your therapist through music so and there's a lot of other usages of music and therapy what if you went to a therapist who's like i'm a music therapist and then you're like okay and then like okay now sit there um i'm gonna play you a set of my songs and then the whole (laughs) therapy is them playing their songs to you yeah. And what do you think? What do you think of my songs? Yeah. So uh, I think that that happens sometimes. Um, obviously not with most music therapists, but I think that... Uh, I should become a music therapist. That way I can force people to listen to my songs. Yeah. Or the intervention is really focused on the therapist doing things rather than the client, um, which <laughs> you and I have also experienced, Birdo. Yeah. Uh, last question. Artist Wolf on Discord says, I tend to listen to sad music when I'm sad. Is there a psychological value to listening to music that acknowledges your feelings rather than tries to change them? Or is this just wallowing in sadness and not beneficial at all? End of question. So there's some research, and it can go either way, that when you're angry and you listen to angry music, it can actually calm you down, or it can make you more angry. If you're sad and really demoralized and you listen to very sad music, it can actually lift your spirits or at least help you to express your feelings and feel like you're moving through your emotions in a good way. Or it can make you more sad and maybe even, you know, going down depression, suicide, this kind of thing. So like a lot of things, it's complicated and it, 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 it's highly dependent on the state the person's in the kind of choices they're making as they're listening cognitively, how emotional they are. Do they have support in addition to the music? So it, it, it really varies. You, you hear reports of people attempting suicide because they listened to a song that made them more sad or committing an act of violence because a song motivated them to do that. So we, you know, we've heard reports of that and that can happen. And we all know the feeling of, being sad and you know a breakup and you listen to a bunch of breakup music and you cry but then you feel a little better afterwards so it's really dependent and so music we can't just say listening to consonant music with your emotions is helpful we can't say that but it can be helpful it could also be a bad thing so you know it's just um, hard to tell there's also some helpfulness to listening to dissonant music. You're sad, you listen to happy music. It could also degrade your mood because you're just like, I don't understand why everyone's being happy. I'm sad. <laughs> like It's depressing <laughs> to listen to other people being happy because I'm not happy. Um, you know, it, it just really depends. What do you think about that, Berto? Yeah, I, I, I agree. So it's, as I'm thinking about this, and I don't know if you're the same, but it sounds like you are a bit in that uh, as I was growing up, I, I never tended to associate the music with my specific mood. Because you were saying a little bit about this. Like, you couldn't say, like, well, that was a angry mood I felt while I was listening to that song. It's just some different feeling. And, and really, what I would choose to listen to was always songs I loved. And that was a variety of things. And usually is whatever I was into at the time normally, right? And so as I think back, I'm like, well... I don't know. Like lately, you know, a go-to of mine is uh, Men at Work. 
I, I love those songs, you know, and, and almost any one of those songs I would pop in if, and I'd be fine with it. Whether I am feeling sad or angry or happy, it would still work for me. So it's a little hard for me to say. I've never, I don't remember explicitly being like, oh, today is a, today is a, you know, I don't know, a, a Bob or a, a Bob Dylan sad kind of day, you know, I, or a, a cure song kind of day. You know, I've never felt that way. I've always felt, oh, I need to listen to that song because that song I haven't heard in a while. Or that's a song I love. So that's my experience. It's, it's hard for me to relate to the tying a specific emotion to a specific song. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm leaning in that direction, but I, I think I also ha- can relate to people that will be in a mood and want to listen to a particular kind of music. I, maybe when I was younger, uh, it was more so. I would have a lot of angst and I'd want to listen to angsty music. Um, I remember in college listening a lot to Public Enemy when I was having a lot of angst. <laughs> you know, 1989 <laughs> is the summer. You know, I mean, this is fight what, this the is power. What, like, right. I, I just remember it really, like there were moments when I was just like, I want to. I don't want to listen to D Light. I don't want to listen to REM. I want to listen to Public Enemy because I'm angry right now, and I want to. I want to. I want to do things to the okay. world. <laughs> and I get that. I think this is why I wouldn't make a good DJ. In fact, I ran into this problem many years ago. A friend of mine asked me to bring. I had, you know, those Bose speakers and stuff. And I was like, okay, they they were having a wedding anniversary or something. So, can you uh, supply the music? I'm like, yeah, sure. Oh God. And they're like, can you DJ? I'm like, not really, but I can bring, you know, MP3s. What do you want? And so they gave me a list of stuff, and I had it all. But I threw in a few things that I think are great songs. <laughs> So we're sitting there, people are dancing, and then all of a sudden I pop in what I think is going to be an awesome moment. I put in Bob Seger, uh, Night Moves. You know, I love that song. Oh, this person got so mad at me. Like, what are you playing? Like, it's Night Moves. It's awesome. Like, you just brought the whole mood down. I'm like, what do you mean? It's an awesome song. And I, I, I think that is a problem, is that I think to be a dj you actually do have to pair the right song with the right mood with the right moment yeah and i don't tend to think of music that way so i, I can't convey it properly to the person well <laughs> so in people. defense of you so this is off topic but i guess it's on topic with music is if you're if you're getting married on the cheap which is fine then and you're going to ask your friend to volunteer and they're going to have to degrade their experience because they can't have fun because because you and i probably get asked these kind of questions a lot like have you been asked a lot these sorts of like we need help with the sound system at the wedding of course yeah uh it it, it got so bad in my life berto (laughs) that there were so many times where i would get asked this question you know sort of like when you have a truck and everyone wants you (laughs) everyone wants to move yeah yeah Been every, every time it was what happened and it would always completely fall apart because in order for me to do it right with without it being a disaster i have to spend you know, probably hours and hours before the wedding before the day of the wedding getting yeah. everything set up you know making sure everything sounds okay making sure that everything can be set up on the day of what if it rains? You know, like there's so right, many right. different things. People just think people getting married. They're just like, well, Kirk, you understand these things. You, you just fiddle with the things. It got so bad in my life about, I don't know, 10 years ago that I just said to myself, the next time someone asks, I'm saying no. <laughs> um, why was I, why am I talking about this? 
because of the I was telling you the story of, of the host getting mad at me for playing a specific song right so Birdo if they're gonna you know go on the cheap fine yeah but they beggars can't be with the freaking Bob Seger right beggars can't be, now you can you can have a pro you could be like I don't like this song but Birdo you told him I'm not a DJ no 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 she got mad at me she yeah. got mad at me right that's some, way, BS. That's, some person, BS. that's some BS. That's some BS. This is a whole separate issue. Like, this is a person that... Uh, anyway, so yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to hire someone on the cheap and things don't go perfect, I mean, at least songs were being played, right? You know? Yeah. No, and most of the time everyone was happy. And in fact, anyways, it's... But it's that kind of thing where, like... Well, but I will stand by my observation about myself that I tend to be very selfish when it comes to picking music. So reading the room may not be my, my strong suit in that case. Me too. It, the, the reason why I uh, will allow myself and I'll allow you that is that you and I love music. Because, so, you know, when we're, in a, we're in, when we're in a room, you and I probably love music 10 times more than anyone else in the room. <laughs> yeah, probably. And so I, I always sort of say... Look, the amount of, I don't know, jollies I'm going to get from playing this song far outweighs <laughs> exceeds, the jollies out of, that you would get if I played one of your dumb songs. So, <laughs> <laughs> If you're counting jollies. If we're counting jollies. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself and always, always, always dominate the playlist because <laughs> you deserve it.